This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. everybody, and welcome to episode 17 of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast, the best fantasy hockey podcast in the world, hosted by two guys who own Eric Carlson in their keeper pools. I'm your host, Elon Dubrovsky, and with me today, and as always, is Brian Calm. Hey, Elon. Happy to be here for another great episode. I hope so. I think we've got a great show for everyone this week. First, let me just mention... We have a Twitter account, at Keeping Carlson. You could tweet at us, ask us fantasy hockey questions. We'll answer them either on the show or on Twitter, or both. You can also email us, keepingcarlson at gmail.com, if you have a more detailed question to ask or if you want to give us any feedback on the show. Also, you could go to our website, keepingcarlson.com, if you want to see show notes on all of our episodes. But okay, let's get on to it, and let's start with our fantasy headlines of the week. And I guess there's no bigger headline... Then our first headline, the Olympics, coming up. For anyone in a Olympics fantasy hockey pool, like the one we're planning on doing, more details to come at the end of the show. Brian, do you have any predictions for interesting things that might happen at the Olympics? Well, I wrote in the Google Doc that the Blackhawks would win in six. So I guess I'm not all that prepared to offer too much insight into the Olympics because I don't know. It's really hard to say. I think I'm excited because I feel like this is probably going to be the most competitive Olympics yet in every country. I think like, you know, the top four or five countries, if you're counting Sweden, Russia, Finland, Canada, and the US all think they have legitimate chance to win. And, you know, maybe the Czechs do too. And the Slovaks may be a very outside shot. So I think it's going to be really exciting to watch. And I think we'll all have to enjoy it because the rumor is that there will not be NHL involvement in 2018 in Pyeongchang, South Korea, although that might just be some early posturing from the league. Yeah, it should definitely be fun. I'm very nervous because I have a lot of my players playing in the Olympics. Do you have a sense from the last time this happened? Do players who go to the Olympics tend to do better or worse after making the trip for the remainder of the regular season? Well, I'm going to answer your question from one angle first, and that's that I think there's a lot of talk of there having been a compressed schedule in the NHL this year, and that's going to wear on players whether they are in the Olympics or not. And that was actually sort of taken down a few years back, but also uh, has been taken down again uh, by Tyler Dello over at MC79Hockey.com, who mentions that by February 18th of the last full NHL season, 872 games had been played. This year, 881 games have been played by the Olympic break, which will go through February 18th. So that's really not a big deal. 18 teams have played one extra game and 12 have played as many games in as many days as they usually do. And that's a direct quote from his site. And we'll, we'll put up the link in the show notes for everybody to see for themselves. As for the Olympics, though, I mean, 
it's not a whole lot of extra games. I think maybe it's emotionally taxing. I don't know if there's really been any reliable analysis done on whether players are going to tire extra. I get the impression they won't. I think players who need to recover and like who might have a an injury going into the break get some bonus time, and that's really handy. But that's really obvious. Uh, I don't think that there will be any huge problems unless there are any strained adductor muscles. I believe that's the injury that Dominic Hasek had at the last Olympics, or maybe a couple Olympics ago, dashing the Ottawa Senators' dream of making a cup run. Yeah, that would be eight years ago, and you're absolutely right. What an impeccable memory you have, Elon. <laughs> what a sad story that was. Man, the Sens had everyone that year. Hosa, Havlat, I don't know, maybe not Hosa, maybe Heatley. Chara, Redden. Spezza, Redden, Chara. Oh my goodness. What a Too team. Bad. Alfredson, of course. What a fantasy team. So it seems that basically any fantasy player watching the Olympics just needs to hope and pray that their players don't get injured and not worry too much about, oh man, this guy's getting 20 minutes a game. He's going to be too worn out. Good to know. Good to assume. Yeah, anything to be able to sleep at night. <laughs> fantasy headline number two, Chris Letang had a stroke and he's going to be out for at least six weeks. So that was a very shocking headline to read on the Roto-Wire. He hasn't been having the greatest of seasons, but obviously no one would have expected this to happen. Brian, do you think there's any chance Chris Letang comes back and plays this season? I have no idea. I can't tell you that, but he is out for six weeks, and I guess they also found like a, a small hole in his heart. And I don't think, by the way, you can't say that this has been you know, the cause of his poor play this season. I don't think so. Anyway, I don't think there's really much of a relation. And it's really hard to talk about his fantasy value because, you know, like the, the bulletin said, like injury, not life threatening, you know, yeah. which, is, which is not something you generally see in an NHL player injury report. So, of course, it's very important to him, I'm sure, that we both wish him the best of luck in his recovery. But for his fantasy owners, I guess, you know, if you, you still have to play the game, uh, consider him a question mark through the rest of the year. I'd say that if you plan to contend and you own him in a keeper pool, maybe you can move him to somebody who could use him next year in return for some more immediate help. He's still an elite player despite the season he's had so far and despite his recent misfortune. So also try not to be tempted into giving him away for nothing. Right, yeah, I noticed on ESPN his percentage owned has dropped significantly, well, down 13%. And I guess it would be interesting if they could give these percentage owns with some more context. I'd love to know whether they're keeper pools or not. That's a feature request for ESPN. I hope they're listening. I'm sure they are. Fantasy headline number three, Alex Petrangelo recently passed the 40-point mark, and he actually broke a record doing so. He's the first St. Louis Blue defenseman to record at least 40 points in his first three seasons. So we have to give a big shout out to Alex Petrangelo. Might he be starting to put himself in the same stratosphere as Blues demon Al McInnes and Chris Pronger and Barkley Plager? <laughs> I don't know who he is either, but he's like the fifth all time in defenseman points for the St. Louis Blues. I think he played in the 60s. But my point is is that it's a pretty impressive accomplishment. Al McInnes, by the way, did it with the Calgary Flames. He had 66, 68, and 76 points in his first three NHL seasons. Holy cow. Yeah, but that was back in 1984 through 1987. If we're looking at the last 20 years, Dion Phaneuf was really the only player who did it recently. That was from 2005 to 2008. Sergei Zubov kind of did it because of a shortened lockout season 
and a rookie season where he didn't play the whole time between 1992 and 1997. And Nicholas Lidstrom did it from 1991 to 94. The players who haven't done it but were close in the last 20 years, Ryan Whitney, John Michael Lyles, Marek Zidlitschke, Brian Rafalski, and Vladimir Malahov, which like isn't a really great roster of names if you look at what they're doing today. But if you look at the guys who did do it, and Petrangelo is now one of them, they're pretty solid. So I think all this goes to say is that I guess Petrangelo is a legitimate option for you. And if you didn't know that yet, this is proof. It's pretty wild that the Blues have all of these defensemen who are must-owns and must-starts in fantasy hockey, like between Shattenkirk, Petrangelo, and Bomeister. One person could legit have all three players from the same team on their fantasy hockey team and be doing just fine, and you'd think that's unheard of. What, name another team that you'd want three defensemen from them on your roster. Well, I'll give you two that came to mind to me right away, and maybe the, this first one is questionable. I would say maybe the Jets with Tobias Enstrom, Dustin Bufflin, and Jacob Truba. Of course, Enstrom is iffy and Truba is emerging, but the three of them together, I think you'd be okay owning that trio. And also, if you look at Chicago, I mean, Nicoletti has struggled recently, but Brent Seabrook and Duncan Keith are more than enough to make up for it. But your point still stands that is pretty rare. So congratulations to those fantasy owners who have all three St. Louis Blues scoring defensemen on their fantasy teams. Yeah, if there's any. Write in if you are one of them. I'd be interested to know if you were predicting this when you drafted them. So those are our headlines for the week. And Elon, actually, one more point before you close off the segment. When you mentioned the Olympics, I'd like to mention I got a bit of a spook when I looked at my roster and I saw Tyler Toffoli was no longer active, that he had been sent down to the AHL. Uh, but this is common. There's a lot of contract wrinkles that are causing certain players to be sent down and others to be kept up. So if you have a player who is AHL eligible and they're sent down to the AHL over the Olympic break, don't be scared. Stick with them and maybe even take advantage of that if you're in a Yahoo pool that has the IR plus slots and just add another player to your roster. You can just hold them and then drop them when the NHL starts again. You know, maybe someone on your roster will get injured, but you'll have the best available option when play in the NHL resumes. Oh, that's a good tip. So is there anyone else aside from Tyler Toffoli who's been sent down recently? Well, maybe only for those in deeper leagues. Toffoli, I mentioned, is one. Stefan DaCosta was sent down, although it's not clear, really, if that was an Olympic move or just a general move for the Sens. Vladislav Nemestikov was sent down by Tampa. And actually, that might be the whole list. So it probably won't scare a whole lot of you. Maybe I'm overreacting, and I think everybody should be careful. But just a note, programming note. <laughs> well, a lot of people probably have Tyler Toffoli. I actually just noticed recently on ESPN, he's been given center and left wing eligibility to go along with his right wing eligibility. So he's become a much more flexible player on ESPN than he used to be when he was just right wing. Before, I, there was no chance I'd be able to pick him up because I'm already stacked at right wing. Now I see him as a potential option if you know I have a player that goes into the IR. Yeah, and I was going to get into this a little later, but he is spending more time on the top line alongside Anja Kopitar and Jeff Carter, which is why I picked him up in the first place. Definitely someone to keep an eye on. But like I was about to say before I was so rudely interrupted, let's move on and talk about our weeks this past week. So Brian, how are the Flamingos doing? The Flamingos had a strong week. It's been a long time, well, relatively for me, that I've had a decisive victory and I've sort of been slipping in the standings, but with a 10-2 victory this week, Whoa. yeah, I'm going to be tied for first again. 
going into the remaining three weeks before the playoffs. So I'm happy about that. I'm still firmly entrenched in playoff position. In fact, because of the conference setup, I've got to buy, so I'm not so worried. But I'm happy to see my team doing well. And the reasons for that, well, I don't know if this is a great reason and if I really should be happy about it because it's not sustainable. But David DeHarnay had three goals on four shots this week. And not just that, he had two assists and a plus four. Usually, you know, you need a few more shots on goal to be generating that sort of offensive output. But good for him, I guess. And on the other hand, I, I, I didn't have a great offensive week as a whole. Clark MacArthur is pointless in five straight with only seven shots on goal. He was injured in the last game before the break, but luckily there's a break and he's not an Olympian, so I guess he'll be back and doing fine when play resumes. Brendan Dubinsky, he's pointless in seven of his last eight games now. Still plenty of shots on goal, though, so I'm not too worried. And Darcy Kemper, who I was really getting down on last week, he totally responded. After struggling last week, he stopped 50 of 53 shots in two games this week, including 35 against a good Tampa Bay team. So his aggregates for the week were 1.48 goals against average and a 9.43 save percentage. But if my offense was bad, well, my opponent had some struggling players too. He had Mike Camillari, who is pointless in four games since returning from injury, though he is seeing regular ice time. And he's only had one positive possession game. But it's the most recent one, so I think that's a promising sign. I mean, it's hard to have those on Calgary, but even relative to the rest of the team, he's struggling a little bit possession-wise. So what exactly does that mean, having a positive possession game, like having the puck more than the opponents have the puck? Well, it's not measured for exactly how long you have the puck on your stick or how long your team has the puck on your stick. But the way that statisticians have chosen to measure it is by this stat called Corsi, and also a stat called Fenwick. They're used in about the same way, but let's start with Corsi. Corsi, in the most basic terms, is the shot differential while a player is on the ice. So it measures how many shots are taken for their team and how many shots are taken against their team. The wrinkle with Corsi, and why you can't just count shots on goal, is that Corsi includes shots that miss the net and also blocked shots. And the idea is that the more often that players are taking shots, the more often that team has the puck. And so it's not an exact calculation in terms of time, but it is a measure that's representative of who is generally driving offense and controlling the play in the hockey game. Mm -hmm. The only difference between Corsi and Fenwick is that Fenwick does not count block shots. It counts shots on goal and shot attempts that miss the net. I didn't even know that second one is a stat kept by the NHL. Yeah, I don't really see missed shots anywhere. It is kept by scorekeepers. I don't know how available it is to the general public, but it can be grabbed from, like, if you're looking at Game Center, a box score. It says somebody takes a sh missed shot, missed shot by so-and-so. And there's a way, I guess, to grab all that data and insert it into nice charts like Extra Skater does really well. So you're saying that when Mike Camilleri had only one positive possession game, you mean he only had one game where, while he was on the ice, his team took more shots, including missed shots, than the other team did? Right. And if we're talking Corsi, it's block shots, too. And you might wonder, like, shots aren't that important. What's the big deal? It's goals that count. But goals are sort of a random event. And in any case, they happen in a small enough sample size that they don't offer a whole lot of predictive value. Because there are so many more shots in a game, it offers us a little more insight into what's going to happen because it's such a high event occurrence. And while shots don't always lead to goals, they still, you know, according to these stats, indicate offense. And you can really judge who's driving play. If you're watching a hockey game 
and you just with your eyes are seeing what team is sort of running the show, if you head over to extraskater.com and look at the in-game Fenwick chart and they keep this live as or as live as they can, usually with a lag of about three or four minutes, you'll see that what you're seeing with your eyes matches up a lot with what's showing up on the Fenwick chart. It's really neat that people started doing that money-balling hockey, I guess. Yeah, exactly. There's a whole lot of advanced stats and we try and keep it sort of layman on the show. But what you do here in a lot of our analysis does relate back to that stuff. And I do use possession and Corsi and Fenwick a lot. So I guess from here on in, whenever you do hear me say possession, you know, and you really want to know how the sausage is made, so to speak, you can look up uh, Corsi and Fenwick numbers over at the resources that we'll all mention at the end of the show. All right. So back to your opponent's Crappy offense. Who else did badly aside from Camilleri? Well, Joe Pavelski, and you're feeling this, I'm sure. He's pointless in six of his last seven. He had a couple positive guys, too, though. Derek Roy has five points in his last five games. He seems to be on right now, but he also tends to run hot and cold. He was recently dropped in my league. Do you think he's worth a look? Maybe that's because he was a healthy scratch. I think he's worth a look. But again, if you look at his season to date, he sort of tends to disappear for stretches at a time. Like there was a stretch, you know, early in the season that lasted about a month where he didn't do a whole lot. And then there was a stretch again, you know, around late December all the way till now where he didn't do a whole lot. But in between those stretches, you know, if you can hang in with him through those, he'll reward you. When he starts scoring, he starts scoring in bunches. And some of those bunches are happening right now. Another player scoring in bunches, Antoine Vermette. He's on a career-high 10-game point streak right now, during which he scored eight goals and five assists for 13 points total. I don't know exactly what's going in his favor, except maybe it's consistent line mates. Over the last 10 games, he's spent virtually all of his time on the ice at even strength with the same two people, uh, Mikhail Bodker and Lori Korpakovsky. I think that's fairly rare, but I guess the coach sees it working and is keeping it going. Other than that, I don't see why he would continue this pace for a whole lot longer. It's really great that he's doing it now, though. And Elon, if I can mention one more player on my opponent's team who I'm happy has cooled off is Alexander Steen. <gasps> yeah, finally, finally. We've been talking all year, right? Everyone has about he's going to regress, he's going to regress, he's going to regress, but he just keeps going. But listen to this. These are his shooting percentage numbers by month starting from October. Are you ready? Okay, go. 35.5%, 17%, 12 11.1%, 11.1%, and 10%. Do you notice a pattern in those numbers? <laughs> Yeah, seems like a decrease. Hopefully he's taking more shots to make up for it. Well, I don't know that he's taking more shots. It's a decrease, and it also seems... He's just getting less goals. Yeah, and and it's leveling out also, right? It was a cut by half in the second month, and then cut by 5% the next month, and then 1% in each of the following months. So I think we can say that Alex Dean has officially and finally, like to the relief of everybody who believes in regression to the mean, he has regressed although he did hold out for a really long time. It is positive that he still hasn't yet dipped below 10% in any given month, which means it's been a really soft landing for him and his owners after reaching such great goal-scoring heights earlier in the year. But all that said, don't expect his magic touch to suddenly reappear and his shooting percentage to jump up again. He's actually still due to regress some more. But it is reasonable to hope for maybe another 10 or 12 goals from him before season's end, which would put him right around 40. Which is amazing. 
right, a 40-goal season is a 40-goal season. In a head-to-head league, it's tough if it all happens at the beginning because he's not helping you much towards the end. And I think a lot of people tried to sell high on him, but no one really bought into the hype. But in roto leagues or total points leagues, I mean, he's still been a really valuable player for you throughout the whole year. Mm -hmm. Though, yeah, I should point out, aside from just goals, there's not many assists coming. He actually doesn't have an assist in his last six games. He has two goals and no assists in the last six games. So Alexander Steen owners are definitely hoping that after the Olympics, he'll get back to getting at least some points for them. For sure. It would be hard to handle a dry spell from him, especially for someone who's been leaning on him for a whole part of the year. But Elon, your season, I think, is officially over. Is that right? Yeah. So while you have three weeks left of your regular season, my regular season is over because we have two-week playoffs. So yeah, it ended yesterday. And? Well, not to anyone's surprise, I'm sure, who listens to the show. I did clinch first place a couple of weeks ago, so I'm in first place. I'm going to be playing against my best friend in the pool, actually, which makes me a little sad. I was watching the bottom ranks and hoping this one guy, who's a pal of mine, I was kind of hoping he would land in seventh so I could sort of cheer for him and myself and then wait and play him later on. But no, I'm going to be taking him on in the first round. I'm going to have to knock him out, so... Mr. Slippery Hooker, I'm sorry. It's going to be a rough couple weeks for you after the Olympics. Well, let's hope so. What did you notice this week about your matchup? Yeah, so I will point out right away a player who, so far, I'm very happy about having picked up. But I'd be interested to get your thoughts. I think we discussed him a bit last week. Tyson Berry had a really great game yesterday. He had three assists, which put him at four assists on the week in four games. Aside from him, though, I don't really have any interesting players to discuss from my team that aren't the obvious players, such as Eric Carlson, two goals and two assists in four games, Phil Kessel, a goal and three assists. So, you know, I'd expect that. I actually have a couple of players who were really cold this week. You already mentioned Joe Pavelski. Alex Goligoski, as we talked about last week, was doing really well, but this week he completely cooled off. No points in three games. And how about your opponent? What broke their week? Because you won the matchup, right? Yeah, I, I won the matchup. I was actually losing going into yesterday, and then yesterday just I destroyed him and ended up winning the matchup 5-1-1. This is the guy who came last in the league, and I could definitely see why. He has a couple of players on his roster that are obvious snoozers. Andrew Cogliano on Anaheim. Not sure why he has him. Nathan Gerby on Carolina. Both of those guys had zero points. A more surprising player to have had zero points is Chris Kunitz on Pittsburgh. Zero points in three games. Just resting up for the Olympics. <laughs> hopefully for him yeah and on the other side though he also has Evgeny Malkin from Pittsburgh and he has two goals and two assists so Penguins have been scoring but Kunitz has been quiet I guess that probably indicates that Crosby was also quiet since they play together actually Crosby has three points in his last two games so I guess Kunitz just hasn't been a part of them but still this is strange for Kunitz this is only the second time this season that he's gone three or more consecutive games without scoring a point. The other time happened back in early November. Yeah, he's definitely had an amazing season. Like, definitely if you would have asked at the beginning of the year who's more valuable, Chris Kunitz or James Neal, I would say take James Neal by a mile. Now I'm not so sure. Good point. It'll be interesting to see where they sit on people's draft lists come next September. So sticking with our teams, how about we move on and talk about roster moves? Brian, did you make any moves last week? I did. I had a bunch of guys go, like, bounce between IR and day-to-day and so I had the luxury of picking up an extra player, and that extra player for one game was Carl Soderberg on the Boston Bruins, and he's been really successful lately. Over his last seven games, he has seven points. Uh, his shots, like he's only putting, you know, mostly one shot on goal a game, but in his last game, he had two points, a goal and an assist, three shots on goal, 
one power play assist, plus two. Unfortunately, I dropped him already and picked up Tyler Toffoli because I got really excited that he's playing on the top line. As we mentioned earlier, Toffoli did not do anything for me yet. So maybe after the break. It wasn't until I saw that you had picked up Soderberg that I even realized he was even somewhat fantasy relevant. But yeah, he's having this nice little stretch right now. He's playing with Chris Kelly and Louis Erickson recently. And Erickson's someone who's going in the opposite direction. I've seen a lot on our fantasy hockey over on Reddit. A lot of people are asking if it's time to drop Louis Erickson. Don't you own Erickson in your pool, Brian? Yeah, that's a sore spot with me. I've been hanging on. He did get two assists in his last game, one on the power play, which is promising. And he had, you know, a, a streak, a three-game point streak a few games before this one. So I don't know. I'm really hoping he finds his game. He's not on the first line in Boston, which is going to be A, hard to crack, and B, it's really not a position from which he's ready to unleash his, his scoring potential. His talent di- didn't disappear. I think he's still just trying to find his way within the Bruins organization. Yeah, well, according to Left Wing Lock, he only played 20% of his team's power play time yesterday. So he's definitely not being looked at as a power play force. Yeah, I don't know. I don't really want to talk about it. I'm disappointed. <laughs> I, he was my keeper going into the year because it should have been Kovalchuk. So it's a pretty big drop off for me. And it's it's hurt me in the long term. But enough about me, Elon. Did you make any moves? I know your trade deadline was coming up, right? Because your season just ended. Was there a flurry of activity? So yeah, I actually was involved in a lot of trade talks. I ended up only making one trade, so I'll tell you about that. I wanted an upgrade on defense. Someone emailed me saying that they'd be willing to give me either Dan Boyle or Cam Fowler in exchange for a draft pick. I recall I asked you who you like, and you sort of said they're pretty much even. Maybe you'd lean towards Boyle. I decided to lean towards Fowler just because he's got more power play points this season so far, and I just never really had an Anaheim player, so I thought it would be fun to try. <laughs> and so I ended up trading Dennis Weidman and my sixth round pick for Cam Fowler and his 10th. Okay, that seems like a pretty good upgrade. I mean, Weidman, did you notice though, since since you traded him, he's sort of started producing again? I know, I saw he had that one good game, it made me cringe. But still, he's not one of Calgary's top defensemen, that's definitely Mark Giordano's spot. And Cam Fowler seems like he is a top defenseman on Anaheim, at least the top offensive defenseman, Francois Beauchemin, plays about the same amount of time. Fowler has 31 points in 60 games a season, so just over a half point per game, though he has been on a cold streak lately which is bad because it means that I'm picking someone up while they're cold, but maybe it's good because it means that his numbers could be even better. So I'm curious to see how he'll do for me in the playoffs. Yeah, I think that's an upgrade. And I can't blame you for trading Dennis Weidman. There was a stretch where he had just three assists in 17 games played, but again, a bit of an uptick. I was ready to call him a snoozer. I actually had him penciled in for this week's show, but in his last five games, he has two goals, three assists, and 13 shots on goal. So I'm sorry to tell you that, but I think the the hit you took in the draft pick downgrade wasn't significant, and I would still prefer to have Cam Fowler over Dennis Weidman. So good job. Thanks. Yeah, well, the other option was to trade Tyson Barry, and he's doing just as well. Or I guess I could have traded Enstrom, but let's not talk about him. He got an assist yesterday, so I'm happy. Do you have any insight as somebody who made a deadline deal about what counts in making a deadline deal and how to put one together? Well... Definitely, it depends where you are in the league, right? So as someone who was in first, I was being approached by people who weren't going to be making the playoffs, wondering if I could trade them draft picks. So really, to me, it just came down to if I had a position that I thought was worth upgrading and giving up for next year, 
One point that I do want to make is that I think draft picks might be a little bit overrated to me, or at least they were not so much anymore, because some of my top players this season are players I picked up off the free agent list. So players like Kyle Ocposo, Scott Hartnell, Martin Hansel, recently Tyson Berry. So I feel like some of these later picks are sort of crapshoots anyways. In the draft, I picked up Danny Heatley and Derek Broussard, players who ended up not staying in my lineup for long. So yeah, I feel like it's probably was worth it for me to take an upgrade now in exchange for a downgrade in my picks. I guess I'll find out next year. I think you were right not to get too attached to your draft picks, especially if you're in a position to win now. You don't want to sit on the fence. And I think that's actually probably my own number one rule for how to deal with the fancy hockey deadline is you have to commit. Like you said, look at where you are in your standings and choose a strategy like three weeks before the deadline. You've got to commit. You've got to decide if you're going to be a buyer or a seller, just like an NHL team. Lateral moves can only get you so far. And you have to be ready to take a hit next season for you to win now. Yeah, and I think people find that hard to do. You know, they're like, oh, but now my team won't be as good next year. Like, why are you playing fantasy hockey if not to win? If you have a chance to win, at least in my opinion, I say go for it. That's where the fun is, having a championship. I'm so excited to win and just rub it in all of those losers' faces. Yeah, and and you are in first place, and first place wasn't good enough, right? You were first place by a huge margin, and you decided that you still had to upgrade where you could, and you found an affordable way to do it, but you decided that next year, you know, you'll make up for it, as you have this year with good drafting and, and good pickups off the free agency list. Another thing I'd suggest if you're looking to make trades for your fantasy hockey deadline is check your league history. I mean, this might sound obsessive, but Elon, you've seen this. I made a spreadsheet. Yeah. <laughs> a really difficult to read, a beautiful mind-esque spreadsheet that only you understand. Right. And I don't even think it offers that much mathematical value as I tried to have it offer. But at the very least, it's sort of an aggregation of all the trades that happened last year in my league seeing who gave up what and what sort of a draft pick upgrade or downgrade they received, depending on which side of the trade they were on. Because I'm trying to figure out what's a reasonable draft pick swap. I don't want to give up more than I need to, but I also don't want to be stingy and, you know, get outbid by someone else without even knowing it. So I'm looking at my league history, trying to read the tea leaves to figure out how much a certain player might cost for me at my own deadline. And who are you trying to get? I would say my target right now is Ben Bishop. Yeah, you mentioned last week that Tampa Bay has a really good schedule for the rest of the season. So he might be a really good goalie pickup if you can get him. Yeah, they have a good schedule. They have 24 games left and 14 of those are at home. So even forgetting that they're facing weaker competition for the rest of the year than pretty much the rest of the NHL, they're playing a lot of it at home too. So Ben Bishop is my target because my goaltending... Uh, could use like a real solid anchor. Aside from that, I'd just like to upgrade general forward positions. You know, this is the time where you can get rid of all those guys that you wanted to drop all year, like maybe Louis Erickson, or for me, especially Jordan Stahl, and, you know, put them in as throw-ins in a trade, you know, just to make it look a little more legit when you're swapping draft picks. These are the guys that you don't have to make available to the rest of your league by dropping them to free agency. You can just give them to a non-contender as part of your trade. Interesting. Yeah, actually, I should mention that I was offered a very interesting trade that I was seriously considering, and I ended up deciding not to take it. So I have Antiniemi and Semyon Varlamov as my two goalies, and I was seriously considering that since I'm only going to be able to keep one at the end of the year, 
I was thinking maybe it would be worth it to trade one of those goalies and then go with more of a backups strategy for the playoffs. So in my league, I need to clarify, and maybe some of you are in a similar league, there's 12 teams and each team only has two goalies, which means there's a lot of free agent goalies that are starters on crappy teams and all the backups pretty much on good teams. So I was thinking maybe for the playoffs, it might be useful to have one goalie slot of, you know, Niemi or Varlamov. And the other one, just anytime Cam Talbot is announced to be playing a game or Jeff Zatkoff, throw him in, you know, pick him up, drop him soon after. That might actually get me more value out of my spot than one of these elite goalies. It was something I was tinkering with in my mind if I could get a good return for one of my goalies. I mentioned this to my league. I sent out an email saying Niemi or Varlamov could potentially be available just to see what I could get. I actually got offered Mike Richards and Marion Hosa in exchange for Niemi. And I seriously considered the trade. In the end, I decided not to just because Brian made a good point to me that, dude, you're in first place. Why are you going to make this huge change to your team? Maybe you should just stand pat. And I decided to do so. Well, it was a risky move because Varlamov, well, A, he's playing in the Olympics. And I think you and I both have trauma about goaltenders being hurt in the Olympics still, as mentioned earlier in the show. And also, he's regressed since the beginning of the season. His numbers right now aren't as good as they were at the beginning of the year. I don't think he's someone you can rely on to be lights out. And as we've also mentioned, on the flip side of Ben Bishop, Colorado's got some of the toughest opposition going into the rest of the season. So I don't know why you would put yourself in a riskier situation than you are now for maybe a marginal upgrade at forward where you don't need one. But yeah, I don't know. I still think this might be an interesting strategy, and maybe I'll try it in my league next year. I think there could be value to just picking up these backup goalies when they're announced, but I'm too wimpy to try it this year. Okay, and I've got two more strategies that you might want to consider as your fantasy hockey deadline approaches. The first one is to know your friends. It's important for you to be able to identify who your allies are in the league, who will and won't trade with you. And especially if you know some of these people in real life as you likely do, or at least have some sort of running dialogue with them. So you can go to them and be sort of upfront. It's harder to negotiate with people you don't know. NHL teams do it all the time. You see the same pairs of teams engaging in trades, you know, a few times over the course of a few years because they're comfortable with each other. And that's what is good for you to do. And one way to do that, and it's a little late for this now, so maybe keep this in mind for next season, is to try and stay active in the trade market during the year. Send out some offers. Even if you don't get anything done, at least you get a feel for what other people want and how they communicate and what they expect from you in a trade and what you can expect from them. It's pretty much, I guess, if you want to boil this all to one thing, is know your league, know who's in it, know the personalities of the people in it, and try and get to know specifically a couple of people who you'd like to deal with down the road, especially if they are not in the same sort of tier as you, if they want to contend the year after you're contending, if you're in a keeper league. Yeah, that's a really great tip. And finally, I think, well, this is something I'm struggling with because I don't know my own but I think you should choose a personality. You need to choose if when you propose trades, I sort of have three categories here. I have serious, where you propose a trade and that's it. Like you are already offering as much as you want to give up for a trade. Silly, where you really lowball the other guy and just use that as a starting point or hope they're foolish enough to take it. Or if you plan to negotiate. So you offer a trade that's close to what you want to end up with and then sort of tinker from there, depending on what the other party in the trade wants. So I don't know my own. I'd like to be serious and like make one offer and that's it. But I think I'm a little too like stingy. I like to get as much I, as I can out of 
the person I'm trading with. And you never know, right? But at the same time, if you are hedging your bets and sort of holding back, if somebody else is making the same offers to the same team for the same players, you're going to get outbid and you might not even have a chance to respond. So negotiator is probably the best way to go. I'll tell you, there's someone in my league who I would call a a silly trader. I I wish I had a better name for that. I should have thought about this a little more beforehand. But I got offered a trade in my league. They wanted Eric Carlson and a second round draft pick. Like So my keeper defenseman, who's I think the best defenseman in fantasy hockey, and my second round draft pick, which is super valuable because that's usually when you get your best non-keeper elite scorer. So they wanted that in exchange for Vladimir Sabotka, Brian Campbell, and Craig Anderson, and a downgrade in picks, and a sixth-round draft pick. I just rejected. I didn't even write a comment. I just rejected. I don't want to play ball with this guy. Although earlier in the year, he offered me Nazem Kadri for Louis Erickson, and I rejected it. That was a big mistake in retrospect. (laughs) Yeah, so definitely if any of our listeners out there have any interesting trade deadline offers or deals that they make or things they're considering, for sure, tweet at us, at Keeping Carlson. We'd love to give you our feedback in real time as to whether or not you should be accepting these trades. Or if you have your own unique strategy or approach, get in touch too, and maybe we'll share it on next week's episode of the show. Mm -hmm, For sure. So speaking of Twitter, let's answer one question we got from Twitter this week. At Herman Bloom asked, Shifley, free agent, drop Nielsen or Stepan for him in the playoffs. So whoever is best for final weeks, one year Yahoo head-to-head league. So basically... Is it worth dropping Nielsen or Stepan to pick up Shifley for the rest of the season? You love Shifley, Brian. I was just about to say, everybody knows how big of a fan I am of Shifley. He did go three games without a point. That was a hard stretch for both of us. But he (laughs) ended that uh, with Saturday's game against St. Louis, where he scored two goals on three shots. Unsustainable. But again, small sample size. Anyway, that was silly to get into. You can cut that. I think I'll keep it. Okay. But that said, as much as I love him, I wouldn't drop Stepan for sure. I would not drop Stepan for Shifley. And Nielsen, I would consider, because we've talked about him earlier in the season. He's he's kept up a, a really good pace this year, even though I think we expected him to regress a little more than he has. Um, but the reason I would still keep him is because his power play, time on ice, is still significant. And Shifley's is insignificant. So that tips the scale in Nielsen's favor. And as much as I love Mark Scheifele, I think you're better off with Derek Stepan and Franz Nielsen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, probably Scheifele's been picked up by now. This was asked earlier in the week, and now he has this two-goal game. So you'd think someone in your pool might have grabbed him. Keep an eye on Franz Nielsen. He has five scoreless games in a row at this point. So definitely something to monitor. But you'd think with all that power play time, he should be able to break out of it. Yeah, and it also depends on what the Islanders do with their other players, too. There's rumors that they're going to trade Vonick, and that'll change the composition of who plays on the power play and with whom. Oh, man, I hope that doesn't hurt Ocposo. You, if if I love Shifley, then you... Adore. No, Adore is milder. You whatever. You love times 10 Ocposo. He's been pretty great. Yeah. We'll see if he's my keeper next year, and then we'll have a whole other season of Keeping Carlson where we talk about him. Can't wait. All right, let's move on to our weekly segment where we tell you a player who might not be owned by many teams in your league and might be worth a look. This week, Brian, you were going to tell us about Oli Mata. Yeah, I'll tell you why he matters. (laughs) I just thought of that now. 
The Finnish rookie's six goals and seven assists on the season so far might not impress at first. That's only 23 points. But the Penguins' first-round pick from 2012 has done that despite not being even in the vicinity of a score sheet during the first two months of the season. That means that his last 30 games have been super impressive since the end of November. He scored five goals and 14 assists for a point pace of .63 points per game, which is amazing for a defenseman, let alone a rookie defenseman. His possession numbers are positive and are even better than the Penguins' team-wide number at even strength. He is seeing a greater share of Pittsburgh's shorthanded time than their power play time, but I wouldn't sweat it. I'd actually see that as a good thing. It does show some trust from the coach being placed in shorthanded situations. He's still seen over 20 minutes of ice on 11 different occasions since emerging in late November and is virtually always up in the high teens in terms of ice time. And here's the added wrinkle with Chris Letang out now. I wonder if he might get a sniff of some added power play time, although Paul Martin definitely has dibs on most of that. All right, so Oli Mata, definitely someone to take a look at and probably grab. I'm surprised he's only owned in less than 20% of leagues in ESPN. Someone else that caught my eye this week, I thought I'd mention Rafael Diaz. I think he might have actually been mentioned by us as a snoozer earlier in this season. I feel like a lot of Montreal Canadiens can be snoozers this year. (laughs) Yeah, well, there's a lot of Habs fans out there. But Diaz recently got traded to Vancouver, and it's worth pointing out that in his first two games, he had a goal and an assist. A goal in the first game, assist in the second. Also, in three games, he's played over 20 minutes in each game. So he's definitely getting a lot more time than he was getting in Montreal, which was more around the 15-minute mark. Do you think Rafael Diaz is someone who people should consider targeting? You're right. His first game with the Canucks, he had a season-high four shots on goal, and that helped him get the one goal that you mentioned. I wouldn't hold my breath for him to suddenly start producing with the Canucks. I think the one thing he's got going for him is that the Canucks are sort of in flux right now. They're trying to figure out who they are, and they've got to fix a lot of problems that they've been having lately. They just lost 3-1 to Toronto, and that could be a situation that he could take advantage of if he can play strong and emerge as sort of a new presence on their blue line and work his way up. But I don't know, it's too early to tell, and based on his whole season, I don't see him suddenly getting a whole lot of different opportunities in Vancouver than he did in Montreal and suddenly becoming a relevant fantasy hockey player again in the near future. Right. So maybe just someone to put on your watch list. Keep an eye on him because definitely an interesting start to his tenure as a Vancouver Canuck. So now that we've talked about potential pickups, let's go the other direction. And Brian, give us a snoozer for this week. So someone who you might have on your roster and you probably should have dropped already. This week's snoozer is Andy Green of the New Jersey Devils. Elon, you were a previous owner of his because he was scorching in November and December. He scored five goals and 12 assists in a stretch of 22 games. That's 17 points, including seven on the power play. But since then, as all snoozers do, he's crashed hard. In the same amount of games since then, 22 games, he has a piddly four points and hasn't hit the score sheet for nine games and counting. His shot on goal totals are a bunch of zeros, ones, and twos. And the kicker, his power play time hasn't even decreased at all between his productive months and now. His zone starts haven't shifted significantly either. So there's no real reason for the drop-off in his production other than he is Andy Green. This is only the third time in seven full-ish NHL seasons that he has been on pace to score more than 27 points in a year. And that's not a very high benchmark to start with. His career high is 37 points, but that was five years ago now. We've seen enough of him to know what to expect long term outside of whatever hot streaks he might have. So 
While he was a legitimate D-man for your roster a couple months ago, he has no place taking up a spot right now. Stop snoozing on Andy Green. All right, well, I'm glad I dropped him. He actually got just picked up in my league for no reason at all because he hasn't gotten any points. But I guess the guy who picked him up had another snoozer on his roster, Tyler Myers. So to me, it seems like a lateral move, but we'll see if it works out for him. Yeah, that that's a pretty dire situation. So now I guess we're basically done the show, but of course we can't end it without a quick lightning round. Brian, do you have a couple players you can mention to us? 30 seconds each? Yes, I do have exactly a couple players. The first is Corey Schneider. Keeper League owners, this is for you. Listen up. Your window might have already closed, but especially if you're not contending this year, get Corey Schneider. This moment for Corey Schneider is just like when Tuka Rask was backing up Tim Thomas, but everyone knew he was going to get the starting gig soon. But in this case, there's even more evidence that Corey Schneider is going to be an above-average NHL goaltender for years to come. I'm not going to go through all the statistical analysis that got us to this conclusion, but I will tell you that an excellent post uh, by Garrick16 over at hockey-graphs.com, and we'll put the link in the show notes, forecasted Corey Schneider to be the second best goalie, according to save percentage, over the next three years. Like I said, there were a lot of numbers that went into that, weighting the value of saves made in certain years over others and projecting based on regression. That might be a lot of jargon for right now, but the point is he's good and he's going to be a top goalie in the league by all indications. Get him while you can. And of course, I guess the caveat is that goalie numbers are always heavily impacted by the team they play for. The Devils may not be world beaters today, but they are perennially competitive and will always be defense first. That's a team I'd want my keeper goalie to play for, but you need to get in on the ground floor if you want him on your keeper league team. Brodeur won't be the paper tiger to Schneider's number one status for a whole lot longer, so you gotta get him while the illusion of him being a number one B is still there. Last player of the day. I don't want to leave a bad taste in your mouth or anyone's mouths, but we're gonna end with Danny Heatley. He's got a four-game point streak going. He has two goals and three assists in that span, including three points on the power play. Believe it or not, he's actually got 12 points in his last 13 games played. I have no idea why. His shot on goal totals are paltry, and his possession numbers make me wince. He's spending more time with Charlie Coyle as his centerman lately, and seeing plenty of opportunity on the power play, so I don't know. Maybe there is still gas left in the tank. We've all written him off. He's dropped in a free agent in many leagues, but I wouldn't expect him to continue at his current pace. I guess there's still a chance he'll get to 40 points, but... I think it's still an outside shot, in my opinion. I'll give you permission to grab him if you're desperate, but otherwise, eh, you could probably leave him with the rest of the free agents. Mm-hmm. Well, I had him. I drafted him, and I dropped him a long time ago. He was since picked up, so I guess his current owner must be happy with him in my league, at least. For now. For now. And that's going to do it for another episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast. Thank you so much to everyone for tuning in. And if you want to garner even more thanks, you could head on over to iTunes and give us a five-star review. That helps give our show some visibility so that more people will listen to the podcast. So that would be great. One quick thing I wanted to mention. We mentioned last week that we're going to be having a Keeping Carlson Olympic fantasy hockey pool, and we are still going to be doing that. Everyone who's already tweeted at us at Keeping Carlson or emailed us keepingcarlson at gmail.com to let us know they're interested. We've got you and we're going to be sending a link to you soon to go and sign up for our pool. It'll be a box pool over at Office Pools. And 
for anyone who listens to this in the next day or so, it's not too late. So just send us a message and we'll make sure to send you the link. And uh, good luck to everyone in that. I will hopefully win. But aside from that, let's cue that outro music. Brian, roll the credits. Okay, this episode was researched with thanks to ExtraSkater.com, LeftWingLock.com, Behind the Net, Dauber Hockey, Yahoo Sports, and ESPN Fantasy Hockey, and of course, the links that we referenced over at MC79Hockey.com and Hockey-Grabs.com, which we will make sure to include in the show notes for you to see yourself. Thanks, Brian, and uh, we'll talk to you next week. Thanks, everybody, and good luck in the Olympic hockey pool. You'll need it. <laughs>